1: This episode of the Mode Push Podcast is international, baby. Yes, Dan Jimenez all the way across the world joining us to talk a little bit about how crazy the driver market is right now in F1 as we get ready for the Singapore GP that Dan is going to be attending in person. We're going to get a breakdown of why Colton Herta did not get an F1 seat, and if an American will ever get an F1 seat anytime soon, plus the insane 2023 calendar. Are you going to go to one of the three American races here next season in the 2023 f F1 calendar. It's all right here on Mode Push.
0: Radio check. Loud and
1: clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Drop stop. This is what you got. What is Honestly. i guess it. I'm absolutely guess it.
0: I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hey, welcome on in. It's another edition of Mode Push, it's the F1 podcast brought to you by KSL Sports and KSL Podcast. Alex Keery, one of your hosts, and of course, one of the illustrious hosts joining us from all the way across the world, Dan Jimenez on the program here with us. Dan, uh, you look sprightly for it being a uh, totally opposite time of the day for you. Uh, so welcome to the program. Thanks for jumping on all the way uh, across this globe of ours.
2: Yeah, yeah, happy to. This is, uh, this is exciting. The countdown is nearing almost a week away from being able to see the lights go out there in Singapore. I'm getting excited.
1: So is a business trip wrapped up in a in an F1 race or is it an F1 race and you snuck a business trip uh, underneath it all? I mean you can be honest with this group here come
2: on. <laughs> you know it's you know just all in one. I'm just <laughs> trying to uh, you know take it all in and but yeah it's a business trip that was strategically timed with, yeah. When uh, F one would be in the neighborhood of where we already needed Gosh. to go,
1: you guys don't even need PR people. I bet on your team. You just have Dan roll out and uh, give you the answer that is no answer, <laughs> but at the same time, great answer. That's that's what you need. Uh, well, you're joining us from. I guess you're in uh, you're in uh, New Zealand now, right? Isn't that where we're at here today? Or, right. Okay, so you're yeah. in New Zealand today. You're going to yeah. be in Australia tomorrow. And then Singapore, of course, uh, walking up to the end of next week, when you're going to be also wrapping up some meetings there, and then you're going to take in your first F1 race. And so give a, give me an idea, because you consume F1 like I do, I think, maybe a little bit more of a clip, because I still live in the mainstream sports news, kind of, for, for the most mm-hmm. part. But what is it like uh, from an international level? I bet when you get to Australia, New Zealand, there's a lot of footy news, but... They, that's an F1 part of the world. They have, they have, of course, the Australian Grand Prix down there. And then it's just everybody else, everywhere else in the world seems to love F1 as we're kind of getting into it more and more as Americans.
2: Yeah, it's been interesting talking to some folks just running into other people that are kind of um, traveling and uh, r- have run into people that are also going to the Singapore race that are you know, just traveling through New Zealand, Australia right before talking to just New Zealand folks, Kiwis here that their kids do karting and their, you know, family loves F1. It's it's feels um, really uh, just kind of common around here, uh, much more than in the U.S. Like just anyone I talk to. Oh, yeah, they know about Formula One. They know the race is coming up in Singapore. They have a favorite driver. Um, So that's been really cool to talk to the locals uh, about that, and see how prevalent it is here.
1: Well, when we last left the uh, listeners here, we uh, went over the Italian Grand Prix, and then uh, of course we jumped into some just kind of history of F one. We're still going to do a little bit of a historical side mixed with some of the news of what's going on. So let's start off first with this insane couple of things in next season because this this time of year, even though we are uh, you know smack dab in the middle of a championship race, although you know it, it seems all but uh, wrapped up for Max Verstappen there are still seats that have to be figured out for the next year. And this happens every year, right? We call it the silly season in in F1, right, where it's like everybody just going back and forth about who's going to sit in what seat. And what's interesting about this is that that fortunes can change immediately. And drivers fall out of favor with teams for whatever reason. Sometimes it's unknown to us. Uh, When we last uh, were chatting on this podcast, we were about to have a decision about Colton Herta and whatever his future in F1 was going to be, and that decision came down in a different direction, I think, than all of us maybe expected, because we've seen F1 make exceptions before, and we are not going to see an American driver now in an F1 seat like we were maybe anticipating for Colton Herta. What was the meltdown? Where did the where did the, the decision end up, and why is he not going to have a seat next year for AlphaTauri? I think is the team that was kind of being thrown around there.
2: Yeah. It is really mind-boggling because, like you said, there's been exceptions in the past. Max Verstappen and Kimi Räikkönen both being examples of guys who joined super early uh, in their you know, careers uh, before they would have had what we would today say is equivalent amount of super license points. And uh, at the FIA uh, chose to be rule sticklers, and I, I just wonder if it is a theme um with the FIA right now to say like, Hey, we're never going to bend any rules because whenever we do, you know, some team ends up getting really upset about it. Like they did with the finish to to the race last right. year. And then the finish to the, to the Italian grand Prix, they're like, Nope, we're going to play the rule book. We're going to go exactly by the rules. And so maybe that's what they're doing now. And it just sucks that it kind of the, the, uh, the heavy hand comes down on uh, a great opportunity with Colton Herta uh, to bring an American driver into the sport, which I think undoubtedly everyone, should agree would be really great for F you know, F one fandom in, in the U S and uh, it was cool to see some different drivers kind of come out in defense of Colton Herta. I think Alexander Rossi, who he himself has had F one aspirations as an IndyCar car driver um, came out and with, with a big long post defending Colton and uh, hopefully the FIA gets the pressure to review their super license point system, which kind of seems like a black box to the rest of us anyways. Right. Yep. But uh, I think Indy Indy car in particular should, I think get more weight than it does um, compared to some of these other series like formula E and, and, and the other ones that the FIA teams, uh kind of gives more credit to. So hopefully they, they reevaluate that and it gives American drivers a bit more of a, of a fighting chance in the future.
1: So the, If if people are new to the podcast or new to the F1 world or new to both, uh, because I kind of field questions from people who, you know, in my building, they're like, so I've been listening to you guys' Formula One podcast," and I'm like not a Formula One guy. And I said, it's fine. But he's like, I'm learning a lot here. And I think that there might be uh, opportunities here for us to kind of throw out how this thing works. You have 10 teams, two drivers per team. Across those 10 teams at any given time, there is a seat. uh, You know, there's always a handful of seats every year out of those 20 drivers. That might be on an expiring contract, not performing well, and so you're going to be on an expiring contract because you're not doing well., uh, guys switching places, kind of mid mid talks with others. We've seen kind of the 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 uh, the rug getting pulled out from under some of these teams, even in the most recent years by some of the most uh, you know famous drivers on the grid. So out of these ten teams and the two seats per, What's kind of a look? What's a snapshot into the 2023 season? Where are the seats that are going to be open, and the possibilities of us seeing new names in F1 next year?
2: Yeah, so right now there are four open seats left uh, that have don't have contracted drivers yet. So you've got the open seat at uh, Um You know, pretty sure that uh, Pierre Gasly is going to be leaving at the end of the year to go to another team. We got an open seat at Williams. Uh, this is, you know, breaking news as of last night, Latifi is not getting re-upped as, as he tweeted out, which we kind of had all expected based on his performance. So open, open seat at Williams. Um, Haas has not re-signed Mick Schumacher, um, which if you're new to F1, uh, you probably recognize that last name. That is Michael Schumacher's son and, uh, you know, a great driver and a great personality and, uh, it'd be a shame if he's not in the sport and just really surprising that Haas hasn't signed uh re-signed him. Well, why, that, that's what I was going to say then, is that uh, that one yeah. of
1: these, that, that drive in particular is weird because he gets all, he says all the right things. Like he is from a young kid, like being taught by one of the best when it comes to saying the right things, kind of acting the part. He's been a pro forever. He's been in the obviously racing for a long time. And it's not like his results this year you looked at Dan and you were going, this guy has no place. He's only here because of his dad. You more looked at it like, hey, he has grown up a ton, and he's put himself you know, into Q3s, into that third that third session of qualifying. He's put himself into the points. He has got himself into a spot here. And I know he's behind Kevin Magnuson. Kevin Magnuson also has like 10 times more races than uh, Mick Schumacher does too. <laughs> and, and by the way, we have worse drivers in other teams that – that you're going, that don't have that Schumacher, you know, name attached. There is so much money attached to him and his success. I just don't get sometimes a formula one is such a weird place. It's just like, if it doesn't work out, because if he, if he's out, if he doesn't end up not, not having a seat, the chances of just getting another seat is pretty bad. It's pretty hard.
2: Right. Yeah. For Mick, it would be really tough. It's yeah. It's, it's puzzling because Haas, um, you know, for the last couple of years have have struggled to even get points. And they started out this year strong, and both drivers racked up points early in the season. And um, you you would have thought that Mick was, you know, well on his way for a contract re-sign. But maybe Haas got a little bit too confident and thought, oh, well, maybe with all the the other seats moving around, and you've seen Fernando Alonso going to Aston Martin, who's kind of competing with Haas uh, on the grid, Maybe they they thought they could get someone with a, maybe a bit more experience that could get to the level of Kevin Magnuson right now, right? And, and maybe that's just the the cutthroat, um, you know, level of this sport is that they want performance and they want it now, and they feel like that Mick is just not developing as quick as they thought. But I think on the other side, you know, the the seats could shuffle around and Mick could find himself even you know in a better spot than Haas. It's just all really strange. You think like that it that it's would be a, a a match made in heaven, but uh apparently uh Haas thinks otherwise so far. Well
1: it's it's weird too because I never understand really the relationship because he's been a Ferrari Academy guy and Ferrari mm-hmm. said that they're not gonna up that situation either. so that's why I'm like, how is Ferrari walking away? How is Haas walking away? How is it that Joe Guan Yu might have a seat in F1 next year and Mick and Mick Schumacher wouldn't that to me is it is, is an insane proposition
2: yeah yeah it is really strange and and yeah and then i'm like there's you know one more seat we haven't talked about yet which is the alpine seat that uh fernando alonso vacated that um alpine thought oscar piastri was going to take they thought they had a signed contract that turned out to not be the case right um and oscar's going to alpine's kind of main rival clarin and so uh, Alpine's running a, a test. I think they're taking four drivers uh, to a test to evaluate for next season. Um, and, you know, leading candidates are, are Nick Debris and, um, uh, you know, a few other folks. So it'll be interesting to see where they land. I, I think that it's probably most likely that Pierre Gasly ends up at Alpine. Nick Debris ends up at AlphaTauri. Um, and then, yeah, the open question of uh, – you know, Williams and Haas, who's going to be in those two seats.
1: When you look at across the the board, is F1 getting – are the drivers getting more talented? Or is it that – or is it just one of those things, too, that you actually don't know if you have the most talented guys in there because I think that's something that F1 falls victim to a little bit is you would never see – the son of an owner of the Dallas Cowboys be allowed to be the the backup quarterback, right? I mean, like, that's just not a thing. Yeah. If you can't contribute to the team in a meaningful way, then you're gone. And obviously Lance Stroll does whatever he does. I mean, he's, I mean, he actually has performed better than I think most would, but I mean, you think about Haas last year in the, in, in the last couple of seasons with, uh, uh, Nikita Mazepin, right. And you just, you have a billionaire dad, uh, Nicholas Latifi, to an extent, too, where the guy had – his his dad's got money, and so they're able to kind of buy a seat for their son. Yeah. And <laughs> to me, that's the part where I'm like, this sport has got to have some sort of an overhaul where you don't just have – obviously, you need to have rich owners. That's who you've got. Mercedes is a rich owner because it's Mercedes. Uh, Ferrari, the same, mm-hmm. right? But when you have these independent teams um, that, you know, like your Alpha your Alpha Romeos and uh, – And I guess those aren't really independent, but I mean, in the sense of like uh, like Aston Aston Martin, uh, you know, Williams, if you've got money, Williams is like, yeah, man, we'll put your name on our on our car. We are struggling financially and they're just kind of getting out of it since they got acquired by that private equity firm. But in terms of like like it's just a weird thing. It doesn't happen if it's supposed to be the highest level of sport, which we talk about all the time on this. And, And from an engineering perspective, they wouldn't just stick an engineer on the team. And, and ask them to make these massive decisions that are that are game-changing, that are industry-changing just because you're the son of the owner. And sometimes these guys who get racing seats, you go, this guy got in here because his dad freaking owns the team, which is super <laughs> weird.
2: Yeah, it's different than, you know, any other sport that you can develop the talent uh, for your kid if you've got enough money from when they're, you know, four or five, you throw them in, in carts and – you can, if you've got enough uh, uh, money, you can bring them up through the ranks and develop, you know, some amount of racing talent to be able to qualify for F1. And uh, that, that just isn't, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so I I hope that F1 can get to the point where there aren't, you know, any drivers who have, you know, their dads bought their seats for them. I don't don't think anybody enjoys that, (laughs) Uh, but I, I I think the credit you know where credit is due, like you said, Lance Stroll. I think he has um, developed into a, a really good driver that could you know potentially hold a seat at another team that wasn't uh, wasn't his his own family team. So uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's a strange dynamic, and I, th- I think as Americans we just like the meritocracy of seeing. You know the best driver, uh, up and coming drivers, being able to get you know their their dues and and get their spots.
1: Uh, we were looking at some of these, some of the guys who have who have uh, you know the seats that are available. Some of these guys who have been you know washed out of F one and and a lot of them probably had the potential. You know we see this happen. Uh, you know it, it's a cutthroat it's a cutthroat deal. That's why it's interesting too because it, it you would only think that it would be based on performance and whether or not these guys could be. You know, obviously there's a there's a marketability, there's a, a commercial side of it, you know, and, the, and and in some of these American sports, it's actually, in some of the other sports across the world, it's like the marketability is based on the fact that you win freaking games or that you win races or that you win whatever, mm-hmm. that you throw a ton of touchdowns. And, and so that's the part I think that there's a disconnect there that if an American person who's getting an F1 kind of looks and goes, oh, okay, well, that's weird that uh, that, that guy has the same last name as the owner and he doesn't perform very well either. <laughs> like I... I couldn't I I mean I guess Lance Stroll would be maybe the the uh the best example of somebody who, you know, has had a couple podium finishes, is uh, certainly uh, you know finishing the points but by no means is he somebody who is even looked at as an overachiever. He's more of just like a he's around and he's allowed to have opportunities. So I guess that's the part that's frustrating too. So uh from that from that yeah. standpoint and from a standpoint of things that have that have been disappointing, I think we were waiting that the next logical step for Americans to get more excited about F1 was that an American would be in uh, an F1 seat. And that, Colton Hurta, that was disappointing. I don't know if he, and that's the other thing, is, is that you have to have the timing be exactly right, too. Does he get another shot then, Dan, at some point?
2: Uh, uh, I think so. I think it's it wasn't a n- not never, it's just not now. So I think, you know, he, if he continues to race an IndyCar and if he can improve an IndyCar, uh, his specifically his points finish at the end of the year like his in the in the championship standings that can help increase his points as well as getting um you know test time with different F1 teams or FP FP1 time so hopefully that's uh is still on track for him and I I could definitely see in the next year or two that he still qualifies because it looks like there's there's enough teams out there with that business interest of wanting to be able to get an american on their team um that that I think he'll get another shot at it
1: so let's uh, let's fire up to since we're looking ahead to 2023, the races that are upcoming for next season. Because a lot of has been made this week about, uh, and again because a lot of the news that goes on during these kind of between weeks of between races, you see a lot of the driver movement happen because that's when their their agents are meeting with people and whatever. Some of that movement happens because the race. Uh, these races, uh, you know, are going to be happening in a couple weeks or whatever. So, in this case, we're uh, just over a week away from another race in Singapore, but still, some of these things are going back and forth. And something that has popped up in the news this week about F1 has been how insane, although exciting, a 2023 calendar looks for this uh, upcoming world championship—not this year, but next. Uh, there are a lot of uh, cities that have not had Grand Prix before or are coming back to American editions, of course, that people are excited about. But there's an insane amount of traveling going into next season. I'm sure it's going to be a long one for the drivers in these teams, but it's just making it known that it's an even more worldwide sport.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. Um, tw- 24 races next season uh, is what's coming out on the calendar, and that is the the max uh, limit agreed to by the teams. It'll be the first time we've ever run 24 races and they are all over the world. So it was, wasn't so much of a surprise to the teams that it was going to be 24 races, but what caught a lot of people off guard was the sequence uh, in in the order of the races and how many back-to-backs and triple headers there still were and how there was a lot of zigzagging across the globe uh, instead of really grouping these races uh, into regions uh, to minimize the the travel effect and the cost, but I think the the sum total of miles traveled between a, each race, and this doesn't even include going back home. Uh, a guy on Twitter calculated it a um, it, hundred and thirty four thousand kilometers of travel, which in American speak is like eighty nine thousand miles of travel to yeah. just get to every race It's which essentially is incredible. <laughs>
1: it's three and a half times around the earth, right? I mean, if we're talking about just a a full on all the way circle around the globe, three and a half times, like you said, and of course they do go back home between some of these races too. Obviously they're going to try to figure out what's going to be the smartest way to do that. But um, the logistics of getting teams there and getting teams across the globe is pretty wild to watch them load these things up in these cargo planes and um, and they run into mm-hmm. the same types of things that that we do, where it's like uh, we've had some delays at this airport. We've had this thing. A lot of the, <laughs> uh, now the drivers and the and, and the, uh, the the top brass of these dr- of these driving teams, obviously they're in private jets chartered. I think Matt, it's pretty well known that Max is basically his own plane, right? And yeah. uh, and yeah. then he actually flies around with a lot of his friends that are on the grid too. So some of these guys, he'll say, hey, just jump in, uh, jump in my plane, throw down. Fifteen grand for for fuel, and honestly, it's a really cool setup. I mean, it would be it would be an amazing lifestyle to have, and it's cool when people take pictures and they go, "Max Verstappen's plane is at the Miami International, uh, you know, charter tunnel uh, uh, terminal." So, uh, across the the ones that I think stand out, one Monaco re-upped for three more years. I think people were nervous about that one maybe yeah. going away from a historical perspective, so that stays on the calendar. What about new places? What about uh, obviously the Vegas race here in the United States catches a lot of people's attention. And certainly around here, geographically, we look at it as one that we could maybe even end up going to.
2: Yeah, so the three new races that they added to the calendar are bringing back uh, Qatar after the the first race that they did in 2021. There wasn't a race in Qatar this year because uh, they're hosting, getting ready to host the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then China's coming back. Uh, and then, like you said, yeah, the new one, uh, added to the calendar is, is, uh, that Las Vegas race towards the end of the season, which is on a back-to-back, uh, uh, ahead of Abu Dhabi, I believe, which is just, yeah, that flight, Las Vegas to Abu Dhabi, that's a long one. That's, that's over the North Pole. (laughs) It's, uh, those guys, those guys are going to be pretty tired, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, going to be exciting. Las Vegas is, is probably going to feel a lot like uh singapore being a street race it'll only be the second night race uh that on the calendar singapore to to date has only has been the only night race so i think the visual spectacle of it will be amazing but uh it presents really interesting um kind of engineering challenges when you're on a street course that is roads that are used by buses and you know every uh, everyone else these roads are uh, it, relative to the beautiful tracks that they race on, like in Europe, these roads are in pretty pretty rough condition. And so you'll see it this uh, next coming weekend in Singapore, um, how much uh, the bumps uh, and, and the condition of the track play into how fast these cars can go. Um, so I think I expect to see that at the Las Vegas race as well. So that'll be a neat challenge for them.
1: I look at the, some of these other races that uh, China has it uh, returning back to the calendar as well. Uh, that's one we haven't seen uh, raced in China for a couple of seasons, right? And so I'm not sure what the history is of the China GP. I I know that they've had hit and miss, and uh, obviously it's like any other place on the calendar that people look at and go, hmm, human rights uh, issues kind of across the board, Mm. and F1 sort of takes a, uh, you know, kind of throws a blind eye to it all. How do they marry having all these places on the calendar and the political aspect that they get absolutely snowed under with sometimes.
2: Yeah, you, you would think that uh, the FIA would try to stay a, as apolitical as possible, but we saw at the beginning of the year that they canceled that Russian GP pretty quick after Russia invaded Ukraine, and yep. and haven't really, um, uh, you know, made any comments about it since, and so. I don't know you see it with the other sporting um leagues too like the NBA and their relationship with China and and you've had different owners speak out against it but uh they they've wanted to continue to maintain that relationship because they understand it's just a huge market for for their fandom mm-hmm. and so uh obviously the the FIA with bringing the Chinese Grand Prix back which was first held in 2004 um so it's it's been on the calendar for a bit but it's not like one of these long standing races like spa or monaco or silverstone so um i think that they're making a very purposeful move to try and reintroduce f1 back to the chinese market
1: uh this is i'm jumping the gun a little bit because you haven't been to a race yet you're a total rookie going into your first race next week and it's Mm going to be a full-on assault on the senses i'm assuming uh Mm -hmm. but out of the three american races next year on the calendar You've got Miami in the first within the first six races there. That's gonna be the the front end of May. And then Austin and Las Vegas are both. Uh Austin is late October. Uh Las Vegas is mid-November. You get one of those places to go to take in the race. Where is it going to be?
2: I think I'd choose Las Vegas out of those three. Not only is it closest to us where we live, yeah. uh, I think that the, the night race spectacle is is uh I think what's most appealing and you know given that it's towards the end of the season um if it's a tight tight championship battle could be really a really exciting race. Did you and need to, it being new? Yeah. Yeah, it being new might caught catch some, you know, teams or drivers off guard and so like, you know, potential for for variability in the in the finishing order there because it's so new to everybody.
1: Uh do you need to add me like temporarily as like a I don't know, Chat books should set some meetings. Oh up. yeah. We uh I get on board as like, you know, just a consultant. Uh not of anything in particular, but just a consultant. And then that week we have a couple of meetings on Wednesday and Thursday, and then bada bing. I think I'm trying to think too because That's I have great. to cover college football at the same time, and so I have to marry that world with the uh, with the Las Vegas Grand Prix. I mean, I think in my head I go, <laughs> "Oh, obviously we're going to try to go to that one," but the insane the insane level of popularity that that ticket is going to bring is not only going to drive the prices through the roof for the average person, it's also going to be almost impossible to get to. When I think about how expansive and sprawling Las Vegas is already, and then shutting most of it down, like the heart of it. It seems like it would be kind of a wild weekend that, uh, you know, you have to – a good race and a good race experience is going to have to outweigh how insane it's going to be. And for you – I don't know how you feel about Las Vegas, because we haven't talked about it before. I go down there enough for work that I kind of can't stand it, but I get the appeal yeah. of how close <laughs> it would be for us that, to be able to go down to it because I've become an F1 fan. And so that, that just seems like it would be a logical deal there. But I don't know. For me – uh like the American GP that's held in Austin. That that's got almost some history now, right? I mean like the, it, that in that sense it's like the it's the race track that these racers know when you come to the United States. Miami's brand new. I don't really like the idea of going to Miami for a race, but I almost would want to go to Austin because it's gotten uh you know you'll you'll have, it's a little bit more spread out and you know i don't know that that time of year for texas it's a it's a decent weather too so i don't know maybe we'll have to figure out between one or the other i don't know if i have the stomach for for vegas uh again i'm in my 40s come on
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that would be a bit much uh it would it's going to be a madhouse down there for sure uh yeah i, I think austin I'd, i really want to get to at some point as well being a more traditional circuit um and uh yeah it would be exciting i it looks like there's uh, um, some ticket packages for Miami available for a hundred grand. You know, maybe we can go <laughs> <spoke> with that. <laughs> what do you get with then, that? I'm asked, almost afraid yeah. to ask.
1: I'm almost afraid to ask <laughs> okay. what you get in Miami for a hundred grand. Uh, I did notice that there are some seventy thousand uh, dollar tables at the at the race you're going to next
2: week. I don't know if you're throwing in on that or what. What. How does that feel? Yeah, no, in? we we looked that up. Yeah, the seventy thousand dollars private private clubs with private. Uh, yes. Trying to see who is performing. Yeah, you, you know, DJs that I've never heard of. Um, all that stuff.
1: Are there DJs that you have heard of? I mean, come on. <laughs> <There's>...
2: <laughs> the, the, yeah, Marshmallow was the only one that's I, had, it. Uh, yeah, I recognized. Yeah. That's the part where you
1: go, you know what? This is a young man's game. F1 is a young man's game, and I'm not barely able to to hang on with it. Uh, okay, from a standpoint of the actual racing, uh, next week, of course, is the Singapore GP. The Constructor standing, uh, Red Bull far and away ahead. I think that the only thing that's really going to be interesting is what kind of a dent Ferrari can make out of this thing next week. And we'll get into that, of course, uh, next week when we start to drop episodes, previewing that race while you're out of town, and uh, and then Max Verstappen running away with the drivers' championship. And so, I think the more important thing is going to be, Dan, if you just to look at those two to those two sets of standards, between the constructors' title and the the uh, actual world drivers' championship title. I guess the thing that's going to be interesting is who's going to be two, three, four.
2: Yep. I think that fight between Ferrari and Mercedes is going to tighten up at the next race. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've talked about this in past uh, podcasts, but you know, how are Ferrari and Mercedes looking at the end of this year and, and putting toward, you know, development resources towards this year um, or looking forward to next year. I think both of them are fully focused on finishing out this year to try and win that second spot. Uh, and then, you know, similar for Alpine and, and McLaren, uh, it's it's going to be a tight finish in those the uh, two three four five spots and uh, I, I'm looking forward to especially the Ferrari Mercedes battle.
1: Rest of the year is going to be interesting. Let's go back real quick because we try to educate ourselves. We try to ed- educate our listeners a little bit every uh, week on a couple of things. It's mostly for my own personal uh, side of just trying to get to know the sport a little bit more and try to understand and uh, understand things a little bit more. The history of American drivers, I thought we were going to get another one. It hasn't been since Scott Speed in 2007. 2007 had a driver's seat for an American, oh. uh, and he didn't even score any points during his 28 races. When you talk about American F1 Grand Prix winners, like actual race winners, you haven't seen one. Since the Dutch Grand Prix of 1978, which is when uh, Mario Andretti, of course, that was the year that he won the driver championship and he was the last American to win the driver championship. And in fact, a U.S. driver it, between 1950 and now, which is when the official startup of, uh, of F1 has, uh, has begun in the modern era. And, and it's weird, too, Dan, because this is the highest level of, of racing in the world now. And Americans invented freaking car racing, man. And here we are, (laughs) only two world championships to our name in 1961 with Phil Hill. He's probably the second most recognized driver because he's one that actually won the title. But that's 1961. And then 1978 with Mario Andretti. And now we don't get an American in in a seat for a while. I think it's not just about getting an American in a seat in a while. (laughs) Is there ever going to be an American who wins – a GP is ever going to be an American who wins a world driver championship again, or is it just so far out now because Americans are too far behind the eight ball in terms of being in this sport for very long?
2: Yeah, it's going to take a while to develop that pipeline to, you know, to even get a driver on the grid and then to get them, you know, the level of talent and then on a team that can win. It's uh, it is definitely possible. And I have, faith that would happen you know in the next kind of decade timeline we have a, an american winning race in f1 uh but uh, it's going to take time to develop that talent and then for the team to really invest uh in in an american driver but i i definitely think it's possible especially with uh the just overall growth of popularity of the sport and then adding the the uh the three races to the schedule so uh i'm optimistic
1: if it uh if you look at it across the board, the again, the names that people mostly uh understand or see or I think people if they saw a list of American drivers who have participated in F one or even raced in races before, names wouldn't even ring a bell, right? I mean, I think there are a lot of folks who you'd go, I'd never heard of that guy, never heard of the guy. This is mostly uh pre nineteen seventies that you're seeing a lot of the success in there. Carol Shelby's name pops up. That's a person who raced uh and, and of course is a part of that Ford uh That Ford Racing family, that's a name that I think a lot of people recognize, including yourself. Bobby Unser is one of those guys that's been in in an F1 seat before. Scott Speed is the most recent. Other than that, it's a long list of, oh, Alexander Rossi. Yeah, obviously, there are people who've (laughs) participated at some level in F1, and people might recognize their name. The Mario Andrettis and the Michael Andrettis of the world, they had a couple shots, and Mario Andretti is by far the most successful because he won a uh, you know, world championship. But most of the time, it's people who lived in an era that was pre-1970s, back when America had a little bit more of uh, you know, skin in the game, and NASCAR hadn't taken up so much. Uh, I, I, I'm still convinced that you don't have to give up a world of NASCAR to be able to still enjoy a world, the world of F1. You do
0: both.
2: Yeah, no, I think that um, there will be you know, more widespread just overall fandom of motorsports across the different uh, you know, categories as F1 kind of takes more of a hold here in the U.S. And I think that really the key to this is getting a constructor, an American constructor into the sport and to really invest uh, into the development of a driver. And so I'd love to see Ford or GM get in uh, and, and develop a team and put a lot of power behind somebody like a Haas is maybe, you know, where they could start. Um, Haas and, and Chevrolet, they have, you know, previous history on, on the NASCAR side of things. Um, so I'd like to, it, it's just, like you said, with everything in, in F1, it takes money. And I think a, a constructor um, with the bank account, like a Ford or a GM is what, it, what uh, we need to see in order to get uh, some American power back.
1: Well, you've also even seen teams like Honda, the Honda power unit, during a time when F1 became its most popular, Honda stepped away and said, yeah, we're not going to make those anymore. That's not really our thing. We're going to stay on the uh, conservative electric uh, and, and hybrid side development of things. And they walked away from constructing or from being actual, like, you know, power unit producers at a time when they had the best driver in the world. And, and arguably, the I mean, they're going to be on the cusp of of winning. I mean, these these Red Bull power units that are in these cars are still essentially Hondas, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they could have they could have had that Honda sticker on the back wing, you know, all year. But uh, yeah, it's puzzling that Honda, you know, chose to to walk away from the sport when they did.
1: Could you imagine a Ford uh, Now, Ford I can see cuz we've seen Ford in in racing and Ford has a I just have this I this uh, this thought of like a GM F1 power unit. Like that it just to me it sounds almost so foreign but I would love it because I'm a GM guy. I love I love the I love what they do and I just wonder if there would be a, a place the commitment level that you have to get. Even these European teams are like it has to be perfect for Audi to be able to put their money behind it and they when they're going to jump into the sport, it had to be a perfect setting and that is like Audi has a race history across the world and in Europe. And so getting into F1 is not uh, for the faint of heart.
2: No, Um, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be exciting to see what constructors come in with 2026 uh, being a whole new round of, of rule changes. Um, And uh, you know, Audi, there's still some rumors floating out there that they might uh, find another uh, team to partner with. know there's been talk around alpha Romeo, um, either Audi or um, you, Porsche and so we'll see uh we'll see where they land. Um there I think that it makes sense for the constructors to first partner with uh one of these, you know, uh independent teams uh before they go all in as a as a, a, a constructor team.
1: Dan, we're going to hook up again for another couple of these uh, episodes here as we get going. We'll check in probably midweek next week again and then we'll do a race preview of the Singapore GP that Dan is going to be attending and he's going to give us the full breakdown. I, I'm assuming that you're going to be taking your phone and use it maybe as just a recorder. let's just get those let's get the journalism chops going and just make you a, a <laughs> boots on the ground reporter for this thing. I'm really jealous of it. I'm super excited for you so I want you to take a lot of pictures and then let's share them on the uh, thing. Yeah. I, I decided also too we should throw out our our uh, our email addresses and if people want to follow us on Twitter as well, I'm going to throw mine out there. akiriksl KSL yeah. is the website. Akiri at KSL is the email. Akiri, A-K-I-R-R-Y at KSL.com is the uh, email address. And then my uh, Twitter handle is just KSL. Uh Dan, throw your stuff out there. And if people have questions for us, we can include some of those questions in some of these future episodes here.
2: Yeah, always happy to answer questions or just you know talk F1 in general. So on Twitter, it's at the Dan Jimenez. Um, you can... Follow me or hit me up in the DMs, and then if you I'll email Dan Jimenez at Gmail, that's uh, that's where you can find me. Easy enough, uh, Dan.
1: Safe travels, and we'll talk to you again later in the week. And we'll talk to our listeners uh, later next week as well. Thanks, everybody. Take care.